0: And as you are, can you please uh, go ahead and let's turn to Psalm 23 and stand for the reading of God's word. Everyone pretty much knows the scripture, I think, by heart, but it's always a good reminder. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake.
1: All right. um, As I'm um, as I'm reminiscing, thinking about just this week and what Matt just shared, um, I'm just reminded of how God is a providential God. And a lot of times we think things just happen or it's a coincidence and no, God is a providential God and um, he orchestrates all things for his good pleasure and for his glory, and uh, I mean, brother, your mother was such a joy when I met her. I mean, I was so encouraged, but when I went back there in that hospital just to, you know, see my wife, you know, she has the IV in her arm, and she's coming off of anesthesia, um, and her and Priscilla are just talking about Jesus and they are talking about Jesus loud. <laughs> so a lot of people, I mean, they're able to hear the conversation, but it was just so sweet, so awesome. And who would have ever thought that the the, the psalm that I was going to be preaching here at this church would have been the very psalm that is her favorite psalm. Um, and God makes no mistakes. He makes no mistakes. And I believe wholeheartedly that he has something that he wants to say to us today from his word. Um, I actually want to pray one more time. And I just want to pray something very specific. Um, So if you would join me in prayer, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Lord, thank you so very much just for the privilege to preach your word today. Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful shepherd to your sheep. We ask that you would teach us more of what it means for you to be a faithful shepherd this morning from your holy inspired word. Heavenly Father, Would you please pour out your Holy Spirit upon this congregation this morning? And I pray that you would pierce and encourage and uplift the hearts of your people through your living word. Please supply me with the grace to preach your word with conviction, with clarity, with compassion, with humility and with a total dependence upon you for your help. I know that I cannot even come close to communicating all of the beauty and all of the glory that is found here in this psalm. But please take my feeble feeble efforts and multiply them for the encouragement of your sheep and for the sake of your glory. I pray all of this in the name of your matchless son, jesus christ amen amen and dr j vernon mcgee's through the bible commentary series on the book of psalms he says this quote psalm 23 which is so popular would be meaningless without psalm 22 and psalm 22 we see the cross and psalm 23 we see the crook the shepherd's crook and psalm 24 we see the crown and psalm 22 Christ is the savior and psalm 23 he is the satisfier and psalm 24 he is the sovereign and Psalm 24, he is the expectation. In Psalm 22, he dies. In Psalm 23, he is living. In Psalm 24, he is coming. In Psalm 22, it speaks of his past. In Psalm 23, it speaks of his presence. In Psalm 24, it speaks of the future. In Psalm 22, he gives his life for the sheep. In Psalm 23, he gives his love to the sheep. In Psalm 24, he gives us light when he shall appear. What a beautiful, wonderful picture Christ is in these three psalms. These three psalms have been referred to as the shepherd psalms. And Psalm 23 in particular has been considered by many to be the most famous and familiar chapter in the book of Psalms. But as we approach Psalm 23 this morning, please do not allow your familiarity with this psalm to cause you to approach this psalm casually. But I pray that God would pour out grace upon all of us to approach this psalm with a childlike spirit, to approach this text Asking God to help us to see it with fresh eyes. As we walk through these six verses this morning, I would like us to look at three things. And if you have a pencil or a pen, you could write these things down. Or if you want to put it in your iPad, I want us to look at three things. The first thing I want us to look at is the shepherd's guidance and care for his sheep. That's in verses one through three. The second thing I want us to look at is the shepherd's presence and protection of his sheep. That's in verse 4. And the third thing that I want us to look at is the shepherd's table and eternal home for his sheep. That's in verses 5 through 6. Again, The first thing, the shepherd's guidance and care for his sheep. The second thing, the shepherd's presence and protection of his sheep. And the third thing, the shepherd's table, an eternal home for his sheep. So let's look at number one, the shepherd's guidance and care for his sheep. Verse one says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Before we go any further, notice that David doesn't say that the Lord is a shepherd. He doesn't even say that the Lord is the shepherd, but he says that the Lord is my shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. This is very personal for David. And David has a personal relationship with the Lord. So here's a question for you, and you don't have to raise your hand or or answer now. Just think about it. Is the Lord a shepherd to everyone? Is God a shepherd to every human being? Can everyone say that the Lord is my shepherd? Well, the answer is no. Only believers, only followers of Christ, only the Lord's sheep can say that the Lord is my shepherd. And the reason why David is able to say that the Lord is my shepherd is because the Lord is first David's savior. This is why David is able to say that the Lord is my shepherd because the Lord is David's savior. And David is able to say with confidence that the Lord is my shepherd. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you can say these five words with confidence. The Lord is my shepherd. And you can say it with unshakable confidence. So this morning, I want us to dive into this text more and more and look at how our Lord is our shepherd in the different ways that he shepherds us in this life. David continues in verse 1 by saying I shall not want. Um what that really means is I shall not lack because the honest truth is we all have wants. I mean, I'm sure a lot of us are going to want to get something to eat right after we finish service. Um So we have a lot of wants, but David is saying, I shall not have any lack. Um, And for God's children, he always, always provides for them. The Bible makes it very clear in so many different places. If the birds of the air are supplied with so many things and food, um, how much more will God provide for his children? God supplies everything that we need according to his riches and glory. So his children do not go without. He may not give you what you want, but he will give you what you need because he's a loving father who cares for his children. His children will have everything that they need. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then he goes on to say that in verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. Besides still waters. This is a picture of rest. Is there anyone in here that feels like you just need rest? Rest in the Lord. I see you raising your hands. Hallelujah. We need rest in the Lord. And he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So this is a picture of rest. Our Lord gives his sheep rest. Hear this sojourn. Our Lord gives his sheep rest. I love what Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says when it says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In James Johnson's commentary on the book of Psalms, he talks about a man by the name of Philip Keller who worked as a shepherd for eight years and recorded his insights in his book. And the book is called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. When he says this, when the sheep lie down, it's because they are safe and satisfied. He goes on to say this. It is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owning to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. Because of their social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with other sheep. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free from these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be fed, and they must not be hungry in order to lie down. I mean, this is just an amazing picture that he's pointing out, that here it is that sheep, um, if they feel fear or if they're hungry— um, or if they feel um, like they're threatened, they won't lie down. But when they don't feel fear, when their stomachs are full, they're made to lie down. And this is just pointing to a, a greater reality of our Lord who protects us, who, who supplies our every need, who gives us peace when we feel threatened, who gives us peace when we're struggling. Um, who puts us in a place where we're actually able to lie down. Praise God for a a Lord that is constantly with us, who will never leave us and will never forsake us. James Johnson goes on to say, so lying down implies that sheep are free from fear, friction, flies, and hunger. Their shepherd cares for them physically, mentally, socially, and emotionally. What a beautiful metaphor of what it looks like for our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, to care for his sheep. The second thing um, I want to point out is in verse 3, as you go further, he says he, he restores my soul. David says he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David knew what it meant for his soul to be restored. Listen to this. He was a man who fell deeply and sinned greatly and received mercy abundantly. <laughs> like David, you may need to be restored this morning. You may need to be restored this morning, like David. Some of you may be sinning against God by giving into pornography. You can be restored. Some of you may be sinning against God by being in an unhealthy relationship that's leaving you plagued with guilt. Listen, you can be restored. Some of you may be struggling with unforgiveness and shame because of something that was done to you in your past. You, my brother or sister, can be restored. The enemy will try to lie to you and tell you that you can't be restored. That you are too sinful. That there's no possible way that you can be restored. You have fallen too deeply. But that is a lie. When he comes to you and tells you that you are too messed up, that you can't be restored, that is a lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You're never too broken to be restored by Christ. You're never too broken for Christ to mend. And you're never too sinful for Christ to cleanse God is able to cleanse the most vilest wretch. No matter what you have done, Jesus is able to wash away your sin. Whatever you have done that you may feel is not able to be forgiven, Christ died so that you can be forgiven and cleansed and washed clean. His arms are able to reach down into a pit that is bottomless. He's the only one who's able to reach down into a bottom that is bottomless. So praise God for Jesus who died for wretches like me and for wretches like you. Again, you're never too broken to be mended. And you're never too sinful to where you can't be cleansed. And I absolutely love this beautiful passage in Luke. It's Luke 15, chapter, yeah, chapter 15, verses 4 through 7, um, where it reveals how our shepherd pursues the lost sheep and restores them. Um, it reads, what men of you have in a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? In need of no repentance. What a beautiful picture of how our good shepherd pursues his lost sheep. The Lord's restoring is not condemning and harsh, the Lord's restoring is compassionate and comforting. You may be wandering from the Lord right now, you may be out there wondering all by yourself, or at least you think you're by yourself. But I want to let you know that as you wander out there, you're not alone. If you are wandering out there, I want you to know that there's someone who's pursuing you. And that person that is pursuing you, that person is Jesus Christ. And this Jesus is pursuing you relentlessly. And if you are wondering, if you're a sheep that is wondering, know that God is pursuing you, that Christ is pursuing you. And if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Telling you to repent and turn back, do so. Repent and turn back to this Christ who is merciful and kind and loving and compassionate, who will welcome you. With open arms. The parable that I just got finished reading in Luke. Notice how he goes after the sheep. The one that wanders off. The one sheep he goes after. And he, he grabs the sheep. He puts the sheep on top on top of his, his shoulders. And the Bible says that he brings the sheep back. And then he calls his neighbors and friends and says rejoice with me. This is how he responds to those who are lost who come back. Notice that he doesn't take the sheep off his shoulders and throw it on the ground and say, why have you strayed away? Why did you run away from me? Notice he doesn't do that. But the way that he responds is with compassion, with love, with gentleness, with mercy, with comfort. We have an amazing God that we serve. Again, Our Lord's restoring is not harsh and condemning. Our Lord's restoring is compassionate and comforting. So rest in that Lord. Rest in that Savior. He's an amazing God. He's an amazing God that you can fall into the arms of. And if you're wondering, I want to encourage you to do so. And he not only restores us, But the Bible says that he leads us in paths of righteousness. I think that's amazing that he leads us in paths of righteousness. He works his righteousness inside of us. If you are delivered from drugs or if you're delivered from a life of fornicating or if you're delivered from a life of deceiving people, it's because God has worked his righteousness inside of you. For us to try to take any type of credit for that whatsoever would be wrong. Not only would it be wrong, it would be sinful. Because the truth is God has done all of the work. Remember um, Ezekiel 36. It says, God will take out our heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh, and put his spirit within us. And then it goes on to say, and cause us to walk in his statutes. He will cause us to walk in his statutes. He will work his righteousness inside of us. So for us to say that we had anything to do with it would be like a kid who's at the playground. He's trying to hold on to monkey bars and he can't hold on to them. And then the father comes in and gets behind him and then holds the kid up. And he's the father's the one doing all the work. And it looks like the kid is holding the monkey bars. But really, he's not holding the monkey bars at all. The father was the one doing all the work. But then when the kid comes down, he runs to mommy and says, look at what I did. The father would be like, you didn't do anything. You, you weren't even, you were barely holding the bar. I did everything. I held you up. And in the same exact way, when it comes to the righteousness When it comes to us growing in godliness, when it comes to us growing in holiness, it's God who works in us. It's God who works his righteousness in us. It's God who leads us in paths of righteousness. And the Bible says, for his name's sake. He does it for his glory. We get the benefit and he gets the glory. Praise God for that. Now, for us who have been freed from certain things in our lives, because we are all sinners, there's still things that we struggle with, right? There's still things that we battle with. There's still a war that is going on with our flesh. As believers, we ought to pray consistently, Lord, lead me in paths of righteousness. Lord, lead me in righteous ways. We ought to say, God, lead me for your namesake and for your glory. Lead me in paths of righteousness. That ought to be a prayer that we pray consistently as believers. So may God uh, pour out much grace upon us to pray that prayer. Um, The next thing I want to point out is from verse 4. Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the valley Of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. He says, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, Just to give a little context, um, historically, when, when shepherds were with sheep, when they were in one location, um, if the the sheep ate up all of the, the green pastures, right, all of the grass, the green pastures, eventually the shepherd would have to move the sheep to another location. Um, a lot of times that happened during the winter times. Um, and when they would try to move to another location where there was green pastures, a lot of times they had to cross, um, they had to had to go through valleys. And when they would go through these valleys, Um, there would be predators that would be in these valleys. So predators like wolves and other predators that would um, just be waiting to devour the sheep. Predators lurking in the background or lurking in the darkness, ready to devour the sheep. And these shepherds, uh, they would carry a rod and they would carry a staff. And the staff was meant to lovingly, guide the sheep, was meant to lovingly, um, you know, direct the sheep to the right, direct the sheep to the left, to lovingly direct them. Um, That's what the staff was for. But then uh, the rod was to make sure that if predators came, that uh, the the shepherd would use the rod to ward off these predators. And it's just a beautiful metaphor of how God leads us, and he guides us, and he also protects his sheep consistently when we're going through valleys or as we walk through this life. Um, I wanted to get personal with you and share a valley that that I went through. Um, Almost two years ago, um, I received a phone call out of nowhere and it was a hospital that called me, saying that my father was rushed to the hospital. Uh, they said that his heart was failing. And um, they said that he had had a heart attack. Uh, me and my family, we hopped into our car and immediately started driving from Washington, D.C. to New Jersey. Um, the, the hospital called me back, and they said that his heart has failed. Um, we're trying to revive him back. And then they called me back and they said, we revived him back. And then they called me again and said that his heart failed again. And we're trying to revive him back. And then they called me back again and said, we were able to get him back. And then when they called me again, I just told them, listen, please, I I can't take it. I'm trying to drive. Um, I'm to the point where I'm shaking. I just, please don't share anything else. I'll find out the news when I get there and sojourn honestly i was i was shaken so much I, i couldn't control my nerves um this just came out of nowhere where i learned this news about my father and i'm driving there to camden new jersey and when i got to new jersey i arrived to the hospital to a cold dead body and my father was dead he was pronounced dead um That was such a difficult, hard time for me. Uh, I remember saying to myself, you know, when when I finally did his funeral, that I would have never thought that as a pastor, the first funeral that I would do would be my own father's. And then three weeks after that, um, I had a friend who was preparing to go to Japan. This is just three weeks later, who was preparing to go to Japan. Um, He was in a rest stop. And when he was in that rest stop, uh, he was in that rest stop with him. It was him, his wife, and his three children. And there was an 18-wheeler that backed up and crushed the car and killed him, killed his wife, killed his two-year-old, killed his three-year-old, and um, their their newborn, which was only two months old. Um, Four months after my father died, my grandmother died. Um, and then I remember when I came back to preach, uh, right after my friend had died, uh, a sister that was in our church, um, was struggling with cancer and she passed away this Saturday before I preached. So that Sunday, she had just passed away that night. And I just remember saying, Lord, what is going on? And I struggled deeply for a season with serious depression. But it was in that time that I learned something. Um, And I'm still learning it, saints. In that time, I learned that God is just as much with us in the valley as he is with us in the green pastures. (laughs) And that his will for our life Is just as much the valley as it is the green pastures. There's a passage that says, um, I was glad that I was afflicted so that I might know your law, so that I might know you. In this hard time of depression and the things that I was going through and struggling with mentally and emotionally, God was with me the whole time. And he met me in powerful and profound ways. And there was something else that he revealed to me too. Because some people would say, well, where was your God when your father died? And he died as a believer, praise, praise God. But they say, where was your God when when your friend died and his wife and his children? Well, they say, where was your God when, when Miss Vivian died from cancer? And the truth is... He was there the whole time. He was present the whole time. The Bible makes it very clear that he's with us in the valley. The text says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. God was with my dad. God was with my friends. And God was with Vivian. And he shepherd them all the way to glory. Praise God that they all died as believers. But He shepherd them all the way to glory. He led them to their heavenly home. He never left them, He never forsook them. Because we live in a world that is marred by sin, we have so many things that we have to wrestle with um, sickness. There's There's things that just leave us crushed at times, but even in the midst of hard trials and suffering, our God is with us. And he's not just with us when we're suffering, suffering alive. He's with us when we're on our dying bed, getting ready to go to glory. And he shepherds us all the way home. He's with us. I think of even as a church, how, You guys are grieving with a member here, um, Alex, and just grieving over what he's experiencing and going through. May we be reminded, church, that God is with him. May Kelsey, I heard, I've been hearing, if you're here or if you hear this sermon, I've been hearing encouraging things about you from the members, how your face has shined even in the midst of hardship. And I believe it's because Kelsey knows that her God is with her in the valley. He's with her in the hard times. He's with little Ezra. And He's going to be with us all the way into when we go home. So praise God that He's with us, um, that He never will leave us, that He never will forsake us. And, deaf Israel, Sickness is real. Cancer is real. All of these things are real. But you want to know what? Our Christ is real as well. And all the promises that we have read in the Bible about how he's going to bring us home and there'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. All of those things are true. So as believers, we can hope and we can hope in the valley, knowing that our Lord will be with us all the way to the end. The last thing I want to point out is the shepherd's table, an eternal home for a sheep. It says in verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I mean, this is a picture of him sitting at a table and the Lord is the host and he's preparing um, a table before his enemies and his enemies can do nothing about it. They're just watching him. In the presence of the Lord, they're just watching him enjoy himself. Um, when, when we read in the Bible about passages about oil flowing down, it usually symbolizes blessing. So when he says that um, you anoint my head with oil, he's talking about there's a blessing here. And, and then my cup overflows. He's pointing out how here it is. I'm filled with joy. And my enemies can't do anything about it. I mean, this is just an amazing picture here. This is a picture of celebration and victory. For the believer, we always come out on top, no matter what. No matter what trial, no matter what suffering, we always come out on top because we know our end. And the end is that we will be with him for all eternity So it causes us to lift our eyes off of the present and to look towards glory. And I'm not saying that we're still not going to struggle. We're still not going to wrestle with very real things in the valley. I just got finished telling you that emotionally I trembled to the point where I couldn't control my nerves. That's very, very real. But our comforting God is very, very real in those times as well. And he will be there with us every single moment. And he has never left us either. Verse 6 says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Listen, saints, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever forever. I love how he moves from this valley to now pointing out surely goodness and mercy. They're going to follow me all the days of my life. For all eternity, they're going to follow me. And I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. This is is, uh, what awaits every single believer. Whatever trial, whatever suffering, whatever you're experiencing now, know what awaits you is mercy. Goodness for all the days of your life. Know know what awaits you is that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Know what awaits you is all the pain and suffering that you feel. You'll never feel it again. This is what's promised to those who are his. And even in the midst of our hardest, darkest circumstances, he's still near keeping us. Upholding us. Jesus is constantly praying for us so that our faith would not fail. So just know that he who has began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Even when it feels so hard, know that Christ will get you through. The good shepherd is going to bring us home. Sojourn in church, the good shepherd is going to bring us home. John says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Our shepherd is shepherding us through this journey of life. And he's going to bring us home. We can rest assured that our good shepherd will lead us, his sheep, through green pastures, through valleys of the shadow of death, all the way to our heavenly home in glory. If you don't know this shepherd this morning, I want to let you know that this shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. The Bible calls Jesus the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He laid down his life for sinners like us so that we could be forgiven and made righteous in front of a holy and righteous God. This Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, died so that sinners like us could live. And if you don't know him this morning, I want to encourage you to cast yourself upon this merciful and gracious and kind shepherd who will be able to save you and restore you and bring you home to heaven, to glory, where there will be rejoicing for all eternity in the presence of God. So if that is you, turn from your sin, repent, trust in this Jesus, this Jesus, this kind, merciful loving savior and shepherd that I talked about this morning and he will welcome you with open arms. Please join me in prayer. Father, I want to thank you so very much just for the privilege to share your word. And I pray that you would take my feeble efforts to expound this Psalm and do far more abundantly than anything I can ask or think according to your Holy Spirit at work within us. I praise you that you are our shepherd and because of that we shall not want. I praise you that you make us lie down in green pastures. I praise you that you lead us besides still waters. I praise you that you restore our souls Father, would you lead us more and more in paths of righteousness for your glory and for your namesake? I pray that you would do that in all of our lives. And I pray specifically for Sojourn Church, that even though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though Alex walks through the valley of the shadow of death, may he be reminded that he should fear no evil. Why? Because your word says that you are with him. You are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Your word says that you prepare a table, God, before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our head with oil. And because of that, our cup overflows. Father, we have this promise that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Father, when we think of valleys, we think of your son, Jesus Christ, who went through the deepest, darkest valley. When he was crucified on the cross and crushed under your wrath for sinners like us. But you have exalted him and given him a name above every name. And at that name, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow and say that Jesus is Lord. It shows that you are faithful. So Father, help us to trust you in the midst of hard times and help us to believe in your promises. To you be all of the honor, all of the glory, and all of the praise. Lord, we believe. Help our belief. In Jesus' name, amen.